Hi, this is Nick Walters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest, and we are sharing today a webinar Wednesday episode with an attorney group, the Bradley Law Firm, with offices throughout the Southeast, and they have a cannabis division that strictly deals with the legal issues surrounding cannabis. Uh, Hunter Robinson and Whit Steinecker out of their Nashville and Birmingham offices are going to be with us again today as they continue to do to give us insight uh, into the legal landmines that you don't want to step on uh, as you are uh, being a hemp grower or a hemp producer. They got a lot of great valuable info and here's some of it. Good afternoon, everybody. We're uh, here on Webinar Wednesday, and we have with us today uh, Whit Steinecker and Hunter Robinson with Bradley Arant, uh, attorneys uh, there. I guess they're based in Birmingham and Nashville. I'll kind of let them tell you a little bit about their law firm, but we're happy to have everybody with us today. And uh, if you uh, have questions, we're going to take those questions as the presentation comes. And I have activated the chat. So if you have a question, pop that in and we'll try to get your question answered. Uh, and then we'll have some wrap up at the end in terms of kind of some things about the uh, uh, next, next steps and how you can connect to uh, Wit and Hunter directly. Uh, with that, I'll let you guys take the floor. and. And uh, appreciate you being with us. Thanks, Roger. Um, my name is Witch Um Hunter Robinson is with me. Um, we're excited to be here um, for what we hope is a um, a periodic um, update on sort of legal issues that are happening in the in the hemp and hemp world, and and that may be otherwise of note um, to you guys. So um we're not going to try to cover everything today um but it's really more of an update on sort of what's happened recently and um uh just by way of background uh i am a partner up in at bradley's uh, birmingham alabama office um i've been doing um i've been a lawyer for maybe 13 years and i've been doing this for um four or five years um and um honor's been working with us uh, from the get-go um i'll let him tell you a little bit about himself. Sure, hey everyone, uh, my name is Hunter Robinson. I am an associate in our Nashville office, um, do some commercial litigation, which I've been doing for about six and a half years now, and have been doing cannabis work for the last uh, couple once we launched our practice, uh, was that late 2018, Whit? Yeah, I think that's right. And so, you know, we work with, we work with him companies, we work with people who do business with him companies, um, and, um, you know, we, we hope to be a resource to you guys and we'll have some contact information, um, at the end where you can, um, um, get in touch with us if you've got any sort of questions. And we also encourage this to be a, um, an interactive, uh, presentation. So as Roger said, type in your questions as you go or as we go and, uh, Roger, feel free to pop in and interrupt us if, if there's a question, uh, that's either germane to uh, something we're talking about or that, um, you just want us to answer. We're happy to to field them as we go. So um, we'll, we don't want to take up too much of your time today. We kind of have this broken up into two general categories. One is um, sort of the recent sort of update with the, the Biden-Harris administration and the new Congress and what that means for the industry, um, what the FDA is doing these days. Um, we'll leave you with a sort of a thought, of the, we'll have a thought of the day that we'll try to do each, each week that's more of a practical pointer and then Hunter, um, the second half, will walk through the um, USDA's final rule 
uh, on hemp and um, some key changes that uh, may be interesting to you guys. So I'll start it off briefly. Um, and as you may have read, there was a presidential election and uh, we have a new president and I will avoid, uh, I will avoid trying to be political at all. And I, and I certainly don't mean to be political or partisan on any of this uh, presentation. You know, but there's some meaningful changes that go with a new administration in an industry like this um, that's that's developing um, and is, uh, is, is a hot button. It's not quite as um, politically um, sensitive as, as its uh, sister plant, marijuana, although I think there's impacts to the marijuana industry under the Biden-Harris administration and the new Congress that impact the hemp industry. So, for example, I don't think that um, I don't think that the Biden-Harris administration is probably uh, a pro the the dream progressive ticket for marijuana advocates. And so, you know, as opposed to uh, an administration that would be looking at um, you know wholesale um, descheduling of of marijuana and wholesale marijuana reform, I think you'll see more incremental moves. And um, that, so th there's been talk of rescheduling marijuana to a different schedule. There's been talk of um, decriminalization and some sort of criminal reform. Um, and those are things that we might see in the next couple of years. Um, but I think that's, that may be good for the hemp industry because I think it keeps hemp as the, as the sort of only lawful cannabis play, so federally lawful cannabis play uh, for a lot of money and research um, that might otherwise, you know, be interested in looking at, at marijuana. So um, I think that's a positive development here. I think politically, you know, hemp has um, proven itself to be much more palatable uh, across the spectrum. Um, and the more people are able to do with hemp, I think um, the more that's going to be the case. And the more people see, you know, all the various uses, um, not just CBD and your extracts, but also your industrial product. Um, that should be good for the industry. And just recently, we saw that um, the Biden administration met with some leaders of the hemp industry to talk about hemp policy. And I think that's a place where uh, it may be possible for um, the White House to curry favor with the cannabis industry more broadly without necessarily um, giving the marijuana side of the industry exactly what they probably want. Um, I think the real action may be in Congress which um, uh, there's a, obviously a razor thin um, Democratic majority in the Senate and a relatively small majority in the House. Um, and I think that what that means is that there's absolutely room to get things done. Um, and there absolutely can be cannabis reform, both marijuana and hemp. And I think the real question is, is, is this gonna be a situation where there is incremental changes um, that favor the industry, um, or is are we going to find ourselves in a situation where the perfect is the enemy of the good? And I've been on some calls lately where, with some policymakers and some advocates for the industry, where um, you know somebody will say, "What if we can get, just get um, you know the banking reform, the Safe Banking Act, for example, is a policy currently pending that's passed the House before." but never gotten a vote in the Republican-controlled Senate. There's some thought that that's right for getting passed um, relatively easily uh, with the current 
uh, Senate makeup. And there's others who think, why should we move incrementally? If we have a majority, maybe we could um, you know, get more. We'll see how that plays out ultimately. Um, but again, I think that's probably also good for the hemp industry. Um, it's way, there, there's ways you can nibble around the edges of, of hemp reform or making uh, banks more comfortable with hemp, even though they, sh they should be already. Um, you know, I just think that's more energy and attention that can go to improving the hemp industry that's already up and running. Um, we, have, we, have a, we have a question uh, sure. uh, regarding international export import, specifically with the European Union and maybe some insight and laws regarding the Delta 8 strain. Yeah, right. so I think we're probably going to have a, a separate, um, a probably separate sessions um, on both of those because they're both interesting. I don't know what's going to happen with import-export. I, I just don't know. Hunter, um, I'll talk about Delta 8 in a second. Hunter, if you've got import-export um, insight right now, um, by all means, you can jump in. Um, you know, Delta 8 is, is, is a mess right now. Um, I think that the recent guidance from the DEA, which admittedly was issued during the Trump administration, um, I think that I think that just adds to the confusion. And just just so we're clear, you know, the Farm Bill talks about Delta Nine, um, which is what most people always talked about when they were talking about um, THC content and marijuana. And there's an open question about whether the Farm Bill. Um, call it a loophole or you can just say otherwise allows for the use of um, Delta 8 products which can in some circumstances create a psych, uh, sort of a psychosis or you know a feeling of, of being high. I think there's fair arguments on both sides of whether that should be permitted. I think it's a perfectly fair reading of the farm bill to say that it allows for Delta 8. I also think it's probably true that the people who were voting for the farm bill to the extent that they were giving it any thought at all probably did not intend to allow for um, a product that um, allowed for, you know, getting high. Um, the DEA's guidance didn't make it much clearer. Um, there's a bunch of ambiguity about um, if it referred to synthetic, it refers to some, some synthetic um, extracts and compounds and whether Delta-8 is, is in fact synthetic. Um, so right now I think it's kind of a mess. I think it'll get, it'll get cleaned up, it'll get fixed. It just may take a little bit of time and I'm not quite sure what side it'll come down on. You know, hopefully there'll be a congressional fix, frankly. Um, and maybe that's something that, um, you know, Congress would be willing to take up because we need, we need clarity on that. The last thing the industry needs, I think, is um, ambiguity. If, if Delta-8 um, is allowed, I think, you know, if, if that's a policy choice that the government makes, then so be it. But I don't think it's in the industry's best interest um, to be viewed as sort of skirting the edges um, or, you know, trying to um, you know, do things that, you know, that aren't allowed. Um, because I think right now the industry has a pretty good reputation. I think it has a chance to have a really good reputation as one of our best commodities. Um, and so we'll, we'll absolutely have a session that'll be dedicated at least in part to Delta-8, the pros, the, the, sort of the arguments for and against, but Right now, I think it's just a mess. I, I tell people if they're asking whether they should get in the business, they should just understand that there's pretty extraordinary risk. And in, in particular, the risk being that, you know, we're talking about CBD and hemp. We're, we're usually talking about FDA and USDA after the farm bill. 
But if we're talking about Delta-8 and you get it wrong, now you're talking about U.S. Department of Justice and DEA. And those are entirely different kinds of, uh, of windbreakers that you want to see um, than you want to see show up at your front door. So, um, you know, I think ultimately, like I said, they will clear this up. Um, but right now, it's, it's very vague. Um, you're going to want to, you know, talk to, um, you know, people who are well-versed uh, on the, uh, the subject matter and maybe even your local law enforcement to make sure that um, even though you think you have an understanding of, uh, of what the, the law says, that um, you're not going to get um, any interference from them because a lot of times, um, you know, if, if law enforcement doesn't understand or have a clear understanding of what the rule is and the enforcement policy, then it doesn't really matter because they can, um, you know, you end up having to fight this, um, you know, after they've already taken some kind of action. So that's the best course of action I think we recommend these days, but everybody is, is different, you know, talk to a lawyer if you can. We're certainly happy to have conversations with you about that. Um, and everybody's situation, you know, merits individual consideration on that front. Um, right. so, so I interrupt, sorry, did I interrupt? I don't know, was that you? What may, didn't mean to be. Okay. All right, what? All right. I hope that answers the question. Um, so if, uh, I guess we're, what we're announcing is we're going to have another session on, on these topics in more detail in the future. So we'll have another webinar on that, on that going forward. And that's a great question. It's one we get, we get a lot now. Um, and it, it, it's, it's putting your finger right on an area that is, um, I mean, look, if we can do Delta eight and it's lawful and you're not going to get, um, you know, all your product seized, then by all means, um, you know, I think that's something that the industry should be exploring more. Yeah. If you can't, then I think we need to know that too. Um, it just, it doesn't benefit anybody to have this, this sort of ambiguity, um, um, in the process. And I don't think it was intentional ambiguity. I think this was totally good natured. It was just the function of um, lawmakers not really having a full grasp of what it is they were they were doing, probably because it was so new to them. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, one last thing and then our thought of the day and then I'll turn it over to Hunter. Um, you know, FDA, um, you know, CBD is still high uh, on their radar. Um, it's unclear to me at least what will happen um, under the Biden administration. I doubt there'll be a wholesale change, you know, anytime in the immediate future. They did FDA under the FDA after the election did withdraw some draft guidance that they had submitted to the White House under the Trump administration about CBD enforcement. Um, I don't think anybody knows. I don't think well, I don't know what the I should, I should say I don't know what the draft guidance said and it's not widely um, published um, or publicized um, and nor do I fully understand what the implication is that it's been withdrawn. Um, but I do, you know, I think it's fair to assume that that means that the administration is taking a fresh look at this, um, the new administration that is. And, um, you know, I predict, I predict and, you know, predictions are, are always dangerous. Um, that there will be a loosening um, from the FDA um, on you know what is allowed in terms of CBD. I think that um, you know they're always going to err on the side of 
safety and consumer safety. And that's why I think the most important thing to them is research and research and research and testing and testing and testing. So, you know, the more evidence that can be put in front of them that the product is safe and effective and in various formulations, you know, I think that's the kind of thing that the FDA is going to look for, um, you know, before they give the blessing to, you know, putting CBD in, in food and drinks and, and other types of um, formulations. But, and, you know, I can't stress this enough until they actually do that, um, you know, they are enforcing their regulations and guidance right now. CBD is not currently allowed to be put in food and drinks. Um, you are subject to enforcement actions if you do so. That has not changed with the presidential election or any sort of congressional activity. Um, it, it could certainly change in a moment's notice, but right now that's the rules on, that is the rule on the books. Um, and, you know, you have to be extremely careful if you go down that road. Um, and, you know, I will say that, um, you know, Hunter and I have looked at a lot of these. An even heightened way to get yourself on their radar is to make claims, health claims about um, CBD products. Um, and so, you know, if you find yourself or one of your partners or somebody that you're supplying to you're going down the road of saying, you know, CBD cures, Alzheimer's or, um, you know, stops COVID or something like that, um, you know, that's an easy way to get on the FDA's radar. And they are taking enforcement actions, very public um, enforcement actions with FDA and the Federal Trade Commission. Um, and those can be serious and, um, and they can shut your business down pretty quick. So, um, you know, if, if you find yourself getting into an area that you, know, you feel like might run up against uh, what the FDA's current policy is, you know, talk to somebody to make sure that you're taking all the steps you can to mitigate against um, any sort of risk of an enforcement action. And that really feeds into the, um, the, the thought of the day, which is, is, is very simple, I think, but a lot of times when we see disputes in this business or in this industry, you know, it's because um, it's, it's essentially a, a, you know, a handshake deal or, um, you know, one piece of paper contract and, you know, this industry is not yet sort of mature, but it is maturing. And, um, you know, if, you, if you're a grower and you've got contracts with processors, you know, you need to know what those contracts say. And you need to know what your product's going to be used for, too, because if something goes wrong or if they start making claims um, about what the product can do and then something, you know, somebody's injured because they use the product improperly, you know, they're going to be looking all down the chain, um, uh, the production line for, you know, people who they can, who can be sued or who can be held accountable. And so think about, you know, talk to a lawyer, have a contract drawn up properly and have representations and warranties in the contract about how if you're a grower, your product's going to be used. Um, you know, it won't be used in violation of FDA rules. And maybe you can be specific. It won't be used for food or it won't be used for in, in drinks or, um, you know, it won't be used for Delta 8 for example, if you wanted to do that. Um, there's all sorts of things you can put in there where in the event that um, the end user ultimately has a problem, you know, you can um, have a, some, you can sort of shield yourself from some of that liability. It's not perfect, um, but it's certainly better um, than when you come to us after the fact and, you know, you hand us a cocktail napkin and say, here's, you know, the agreement that we had. So, that's a thought. Um, I don't know if there's any questions that sort of flow out of what I just talked about. I'm, I'm happy to answer any of those. Otherwise, I can turn yeah, it Yeah, we, 
we actually have have one from Michael Srock. Uh, says, are you aware of anyone trying to get a, another cannabinoid such as CBG, CBN, uh, approved for use as a drug such as uh, GW Pharma did with CBD? You know, I haven't, I've, I've heard of it. Um, and I know that there's companies that are, who, who are actively pursuing that. Um, Hunter, you correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen that any of them were have have been approved. I feel like that's something that I would have seen. Um, but um, uh, that is a hundred percent something that um, a lot of money and time is being spent on um, to try to gain um, FDA approval of those uh, as drug products. Um, just as there are, um, there's time and money being spent to get the uh, certain uh, hemp extracts recognized on the grass list of generally recognized as safe, which would um, allow their use in food and beverages. Um, that's not currently the case for CBD generally, but yes, um, I think what you'll see ultimately is um, about as many cannabinoids as can be found will be pursued as a uh, drug approval uh, under uh, FDA rules. But to my knowledge, um, none of them have currently uh, been approved other than um, uh, GW for uh, Epidiolex. Okay. Um, with that, I'm happy to turn it over to Hunter and, um, you know, I'm happy to pop back in um, and I may, Hunter likes it when I interrupt him with questions too. So um, probably haven't heard the last time me, but Hunter, why don't you take it away? Sure, a betting man would put uh, money on wet interrupting me a couple of times in here. Uh, Thanks, Wet. So I'm going to give a little overview of the uh, USDA's final rule um, to start with a little bit of table setting. So um, as, as all of you know, I'm sure there's the 2014 Farm Bill, which authorized states to set up limited pilot programs for the production of hemp. Uh, that was followed in 2018 by the Farm Bill, um, which uh, kind of formalized the, the hemp production plan um, and vested primary regulatory authority at the federal level with the USDA, who um, produced their own plan to govern in states that allowed hemp but didn't have their own plans and then authorized states to, uh, to formulate their own plans that could regulate uh, more stringently but no less stringently than the USDA plan. Uh, the USDA published a interim final rule uh, in October 2019 and then opened it up for public comment for feedback. Um, and the USDA got plenty of it, um, faced pretty sustained criticism from the industry and stakeholders about uh, certain requirements in the interim final rule that were uh, viewed as too strict or in some cases just completely unworkable. Uh, and so I guess it was almost a month ago now, or right out a month ago, the USDA uh, took those comments into consideration and published their final rule, uh, which becomes effective in March 22nd and, and kind of has some tweaks around the edges, but has kind of five key changes, uh, industry friendly changes in five key areas. And that is, well, we'll take these one by one. So the first of which is the threshold for negligent violations. So the way the interim final rule was structured was um, any hemp that tested above 0.3% total THC uh, had to be destroyed. And that, that requirement remains, but there is a little bit of a safe harbor for producing hemp that is, that is just a little over 0.3%. Um, still must be destroyed, but there's a, 
a, a level before it becomes a negligent violation. So in the interim final rule, that level is 0.5%. Uh, now it is 1% total THC. So the upshot of this is that any hemp that tests between 0.3% and 0.99% total THC still must be destroyed or remediated, but the producer will not uh, kind of accrue in a negligent violation. Uh, another thing it did was the final rule limits the number of negligent violations that a producer can receive in one growing season to one. Uh, the way the rule is structured, if you get more than three negligent violations in a five-year span, then you are barred for producing hemp for a while. Um, under the interim final rule, if you had multiple lots um, that you all planted at the same time and they all tested hot, you could, you could lose your your hemp license for a period um, kind of in one growing season. This was a change designed to prevent that. So these were, I mean, just really reduced the level of risk for, for hemp farming, uh, this change. The change that probably has the most kind of immediate economic impact was disposal and remediation requirements for hot hemp. So under the interim final rule, any hemp that that tested above 0.3% had to be destroyed. And it had to be destroyed by a, what's called a DEA reverse distributor or local law enforcement. So the way that worked was you grow hot hemp, not only do you lose your entire crop, you have to pay money to get rid of it, um, which is, I mean, just an enormous downside risk for farmers. The final rule mitigates that some. Um, it allows alternative well, most importantly, it adds remediation measures. And second, if you do decide to dispose, you now do not have to do it uh, through a DA reverse distributor of law enforcement. You can kind of employ normal farm farming practices to get rid of it. You can you can burn it, you can till it, you can disc it. Um, more importantly, that you can remediate remediate hot hemp. So any hot hemp still cannot enter the stream of commerce, um, but you can take steps to make the product fall below the 0.3% threshold, get it retested and then sell it. So, um, you know, most, most THC content in a hemp plant is in the flower material. So if you have a plant that tests hot, you can remove the, form, the flower material and then have the rest retested and sell the rest. You can grind the whole plant into a biomass material, get it retested and sell it. So, you know, you still won't, won't realize the profit that you would have, but you'll realize you know, some revenue instead of just a pure cost under the interim final rule. Another incredibly important change was the harvest window. So the interim final rule um, required samples to be tested within 15 days of harvest. This was the one I referenced that most people view just as completely unworkable. Um, there was just not enough testing capacity to, to get everything, get everyone tested within 15 days. Uh, the final rule now extends that requirement to 30 days. So now you have, you will get somebody to test the crop and then you will um, have 30 days in which to harvest it, which should be a, a, a big relief to, to the, the regulatory authorities and states and to, and to farmers as well. Finally, the uh, interim final rule required flower material to be taken from the plant. Uh, the final rule relaxes that requirement a little, um, not as much as the industry would have hoped, but kind of provided this, this definition, which I'm not going to read uh, this in the slide here, that kind of allows a little bit more stalk and leaf material to be included in the sample. Um, and those, since those parts have generally lower THC concentrations, that makes it a little bit easier to meet the hemp requirement or the acceptable THC requirement. I'm sorry. 
And finally, the final rule um, allows states and tribes a little bit more flexibility to adopt what the, the rule refers to as performance-based approach uh, sampling in their plans. So that can take into account certain seed certification programs. Um, it references allowing um, producers with a history of compliance. So say, you know, a state may make a plan that says, you know, this guy has tested, tested great for three years straight instead of testing him every, you know, X amount of time, that'll get extended to a to Y amount of time. Um, and those, like any other part of a state or travel plan, those, those sampling requirements are still subject to being approved by the USDA, um, which will probably keep a, a somewhat close eye on those. But I mean, I think this is, this, this change indicates a lot more flexibility um, and in ways, especially in, in states that are, that are considered hemp friendly, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, states like that, um, you know, they will probably try to push this to the limit in a way that could, could really benefit farmers. And the final uh, one, this is Hunter, uh, just a quick interruption right there. Uh, I have another question about the uh, Delta 9 THC. Is it specifically detailed as total Delta 9? Uh, some states allowing D9 compliance, some regard total THC, including D9, THCA, et cetera. If you care to have a comment on, on that. Sure. So states and WIT definitely hop in on this one if you want. Um, you know, so states in, in the 2014 version of the Farm Bill, uh, many states are still operating under that, including Tennessee. Um, and it, it, it gave some wiggle room in regards to what kind of what uh, TH, or I'm sorry, Delta 9 THC counted. Uh, the interim final rule and the, and the final rule, the final rule didn't change anything about that. The Farm Bill still requires total THC testing. So that is THC plus THCA, um, which is the, uh, an acidic that can be converted or that will be converted uh, when the THC is burned into THC. So the, the final rule didn't make any changes there. The USDA um, viewed that as something that, that Congress had to change and, and you know, that, that may be something they may be right on, but they, they view the statute as requiring that um, and they you know, have kind of invited Congress to potentially act, but they don't think they can do that via regulation. Well, do you have anything to add there? Uh, not specifically on that point. I guess one thing, you know, it seems to me, and, and this is this is not um, not to suggest that the question suggested anything other than this, but it's just sort of a broader point as I think about sort of testing hot and things like that. Um, I feel like uh, in the hemp industry right now, we have an opportunity to really uh, see some pretty explosive growth and some really cool innovation. And I think we all have a little bit of an obligation to uh, do the best we can to play by the rules. I think, you know, regulators are being pretty, pretty on board with this industry right now developing. And I think that that could turn quickly if it felt like everybody who's playing in the space um, is looking for a way to, um, you know, run it as close to the line as they can. So, you know, it's not really a legal point, although it's the type of thing that we would counsel people to do. It's certainly a way to get on regulators' radar and, and be the subject of an enforcement action. But also, I think just being good stewards of, of a nascent industry, um, you know, we sort of have an obligation uh, to, you know, do the best we can to, to be in full compliance, which I think will, you know, ease the regulations and allow sort of the type of research and money and funding and uh, innovation that we all think the industry needs to uh, see its full potential. So I just I just offer that. 
And so this final point, I mean, I don't really have much to add on the slide. So the one, pe one thing uh, many commenters, uh, stakeholders asked the USDA to do after the interim final rule was to remove the requirement that uh, the testing labs had to be DA approved. Uh, USDA did not budge on that, although they did give a little bit of wiggle room. So they recognize that there is simply, there's not capacity to do the testing. Um, there's not sufficient number of DA registered labs. So they have pushed that uh, kind of the, the effective date, more or less of that, that requirement back to January 1, 2022, um, with the hope that by that point they will have uh, accepted enough applications to give sufficient capacity for, for testing. And I know that was a that was, that was 15 minutes on something that could easily take a few hours to present on. So um, with that, I will uh, turn it over to any other questions that they have. Whit and I are, are happy to stick around for a few minutes and, and kind of do cleanup duty if uh, anybody else has anything they'd like to ask. I did the classic mistake of muting my microphone. Uh, we appreciate you, you and uh, Whit, Hunter, uh, coming on today, and uh, at this time, I'll kind of do a wrap-up. If there's any other questions uh, for, for the attendees, go ahead and post those so we can get those answered. Um, but I would encourage everybody to visit the uh, National Hemp Co-op's website, sign up for our newsletter, uh, provide us some information. If anybody has a question, uh, uh, or would like for uh, Max Howe, who heads our membership uh, development uh, for the co-op, uh, post your name and contact information if you've not already joined, if you want to join or want more information or would like to talk to Max, uh, we'll have him get in contact with you uh, straightway. Uh, but with that, uh, uh, I'll see if we have any more questions. Uh, if not, uh, with Hunter, uh, from everybody here at the National Co-op. Uh, we appreciate your time and the uh, valuable information that you've provided us today. All right, our pleasure. We'll uh, see you guys soon. All right, thank you. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.